Bulavinaka, everybody, and welcome back to our podcast, Digressions of a Fijian. In today's episode, we're going to be chatting about the language, uh, well, the Fijian language and the importance of speaking Fijian and also teaching our children the language. We'll also be sharing our experience as parents living far away from home and also the difficulties we face in ensuring the preservation of our, our language with our own children. So sit back and I hope you enjoy our next episode. This past Friday, the 9th of August, uh, was World Indigenous Day. Now, this year, it's been earmarked as an International Year of Indigenous Languages. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I wasn't I wasn't even aware that there were, it was World Indigenous Day. I, I know that we celebrate um, indigenous, indigenous Day, but I wasn't even aware uh, that it was last Friday. It was my dad who, lived, who lives in Fiji who actually um, reminded me about it because he's been, um, it's been really important for him with regards to the theme this year because he's been um, having talks with retired Indigenous Fijian teachers back home who are part of the Fijian Teachers Association. And they have been having talks about um, how they can do better in terms of writing resources to make it to make it more readily available for our young children back home and through the Fijian education system in terms of like writing our history from a Fijian perspective, especially an indigenous Fijian perspective, and also writing resources in the vernacular so that we can encourage the the learning, reading, writing and speaking of the language. There's been an interesting past week just chatting with my dad and asking him about just having conversations about his own experience as someone who was educated during colonial times. I must admit it's um, it has felt like a lost opportunity because I, I don't really ask my dad a lot of questions about it. I, I don't know why. I think we take it for granted that our parents were brought up, were born and brought up during a time where Fiji was still a British colony. And because our parents are of that generation where they don't necessarily voice um, things that they went through in terms of the how different it was with the education system, or maybe it was just, I don't know, like having conversations with friends of mine from other Commonwealth nations. They're able to express like what they don't like about colonization. And I always find as a, as a Fijian, I I don't know how to sort of express like my how should I put it how I don't how I don't agree with certain things that happened when we were colonized and also like that guilt that seems to be heavily laden you know that that feeling that we have where we almost are made to feel grateful you know and I've had these conversations with a lot of um, with a few not a lot with a few uh, Fijians who are serving or Fijians who are living here where you know you should just be grateful that we're here because if it wasn't for being a British colony, uh, we wouldn't have had the opportunity to move to the UK. And coming from that sort of mindset was, it makes it difficult to have these conversations and have these conversations about how maybe the education system that we have, we had growing up wasn't to our benefit because we were being taught history from a white man's perspective and history from a missionary's perspective, how they viewed us when they, when they landed on our shores how they viewed us when they came over and colonized us. 
Yeah, so bringing back to like the theme of this year, in terms of like it being the International Year of Indigenous Languages, it, it really sort of, you know, sort of like stoked this fire that I usually have in terms of like preserving the language. But then it also highlighted how much of a hypocrite I am as a parent because I myself don't encourage my children to learn the language. I guess it's um, something that I've taken for granted because I speak it, I read and write it uh, fluently, I speak our the Bowen dialect, I speak the Tailevunov dialect, and I also speak my mom's uh, Lawan dialect, um, minus the swears, of course. Um, yeah, so it really, um, we've been having these conversations, me and my teenager, Vasemada, and we've it's opened up, well, opened my eyes in, um, and on how it, there was a lot of pressure on me as a young Indigenous Fijian growing up in Fiji to sort of shirk, you could say, the language, the Fijian language. And I I grew up considering English as the superior language. Just a, before I go, go into like my own experience, I just thought I'd give you guys a bit of, just a bit of stats. So there has been a lot of research that has been done into, you know, this subject in terms of like the language. Now, re research current research that has shown that there's an estimated 370 million of us indigenous people in the world. However, with that number, there's it will, 370 million indigenous people in the world living across 90 countries. However, even with this significant number of us, we still make up less than 5% of the world's population. And the sad statistic attached to this is that we account for 15% of the poorest uh, in the world. You know, as, as like I like to tell my kids, as indigenous peoples, we are like the inheritors and practitioners of like unique cultures and ways of relating to people and the environment. You can see the way that traditionally, like, you know, with Fijians, um, those of us who, um, those of us from like the Ito Cave um, heritage, when it comes to the environment, it's, I guess we associate with like, that's, that's our birthright. Eh? So we tend to like look, look at it as like something that's a communal wealth. And it's very hard for, for us um, as a community to sort of change, like make it where it's a money making thing. And I'll give you an example for my grandfather and my, my uncles, my dad's uh, brothers, you know, they have land in Tel Aviv and they've, they've uh, collectively as a Matangali, they, they planted mahogany trees and it's, it, We've never had seen it as like an individual sort of wealth where it's going to be ours, you know, one specific person is going to have it. It's always like when it's harvested, it's going to be shared communally. And I guess that's where it comes, where that's a unique aspect of our culture is the way that we sort of bring it together so that it's shared out amongst us. Um, you know, those of us who move away from our home countries, we either try to retain most or parts of our social and cultural, and at times economic um, characteristics that are distinct to us eh? and also distinct from the dominant societies that we live in. You know, at times we choose to completely lose this unique indigenous characteristics. And I guess it, may, it goes for what makes our life easier. What can we do to keep the peace? Which which is sad. I think I think that's sad that we have to be made to feel that way. And then because of that, you know, we adopt the the ways of life of the society that we move into without learning how to balance it out where we can retain our unique identity, our unique cultural and indigenous identity, while at the same time just marrying it together with like the new uh, society we're moving into. And when we when we sever you know, that integral part of our identity, that we lose a part of our identity. We lose that. And then those of us who have children, 
yeah, it's sad because it's uh, it stops with us. Huh? It stops with us, and we're we're unable to share our unique cultural um, identity with them. Another sort of example that I can think of where um, it sort of highlights how, as Indigenous people, we are inheritors and practitioners of our unique cultures and ways of life that relates to not only people but environment is the um, the current protest that's going on in Hawaii with regards to the building of a 30-meter telescope on um, Mauna Kea. Now, you know, it's considered the most sacred mountain of native Hawaiian religion um, to the native Hawaiian people and also with regards to their religion and their culture. And those of uh, those who might not come from, who, yeah, who come, who do not necessarily come from like an indigenous uh, people's background won't really understand how the ties that we as indigenous people have with regards to our lands, our waters, you know, things that might, they might think it's just inanimate things and we should just um, give up, give it up for the, for progress, you could say, you know. And so it's really important for us to have this, um, to sort of retain this knowledge and retain this, um, have, have a sense of preservation eh? when it comes to our way of life and our, most importantly for this year, our language, you know. And Going back to statistics that I was telling you guys about, you know, according to like the United Nations resolution on rights of the indigenous people, we as indigenous people are arguably among the most disadvantaged and just vulnerable pe- groups of people in the world. I hope that it's due to this, you know, they say it is due to this, that, but saying and doing is two separate things. You know, they they say that the international community now recognizes like that spe- special measures are required to protect our rights and maintain our distinct cultures and way of life. You know, like I said earlier, seeing and doing is two very different things. But to bring us back to the theme for this year, which is International Year of the Indigenous Languages, you know, according to the UN website, the large majority of languages that are in danger that are in danger are spoken by indigenous peoples. You know, it's, and it's it's sad that it's been estimated that every two weeks an indigenous language disappears. So the disappearance of that indigenous language in, in essence places like their respective indigenous culture and knowledge systems that we have in place with that language at risk. You know, a lot of us are going to ask like, okay, how is our language at risk? because there's still quite a lot of us who still speak the language. There's a lot of us in our rural areas that speak the language. There's a lot of us in our communities across the world who still speak the language. There's, you know, there's a lot of indigenous Fijian people who still speak the language in Fiji. So why is this conversation even being had about the, the risk of losing the ability to speak it? I guess my sort of point in this whole uh, podcast is it comes back to how our education system in place perpetuates this notion that um, the English language is superior and therefore we tend to prioritize learning and speaking that language, and I get it. It's um, it's a common medium uh, across the world. You know, you know, in terms of like education, higher education outside of our own country, how edu- um, employment opportunities. It's um, it, there's a need to learn it, but at the same time, I feel like we could do better in terms of 
highlighting the the importance of learning our own indigenous uh, language as well. You know, I was chatting to my dad about like how was it for him being educated during a time when Fiji was a British colony, like in terms of like being able to speak the language, learn other aspects of the language rather apart from what he learned at home. And um, yeah, and it was sad to hear that they weren't allowed to speak the language at all. Um, if they were caught speaking the language in school, they'd be punished. But um, at the same time, he he highlighted how they were educated during a time when Fiji was still a British colony. The idea of Fiji even being an independent state wasn't spoken about as openly just yet. And so because of this this recognition that Fiji might be a colony for yet some time, you know, they're going to get married, have children. They they understood the importance of retaining that knowledge. And so when they'd be within their own circles where as students, they'd speak the vernacular, they'd speak the language, they'd speak the Itoke language, and they'd make sure that, um, you know, they'd correct each other or they'd just hone each other's skill on the actual language. They'd learn other dialects as well. And an interesting um, sort of fact you could say that we spoke about as well is like, so I was brought up where I spent a lot of time in the village with my grandparents, my paternal grandparents, and we're from Tailevu North. Now, my grandfather spoke the Mbawan dialect. Yeah, he spoke the Mbawan dialect always with us, his uh, children and his grandchildren. And I, and I asked my dad about this because I only just learned the Tai North uh, dialect when I was, I took it upon myself to learn the dialect um, as an adult. And so, um, you know, that in itself, eh, like, ask, I was asking my dad, like, why did we only speak the Mbawan dialect? And he said, oh, you know, your grandfather spoke the Thai Levinoth dialect, but he chose to speak the Mbawan dialect. And it was probably like, um, he, he said uh, something about like it being a status thing as well, you know, to speak Fijian and speak the Mbawan dialect at that time uh, um, was considered some sort of status thing. And it and I was it was interesting to hear that, you know. So even within our own sort of indigenous circles, there was already this uh, ideology that a certain uh, dialect was more superior. And you can see that because majority of us speak the Mbawan dialect. And it was probably because of our colonizers who came in and they, you know, who seeded us, they saw that whoever it was that seeded us to Great Britain um, had more influence. And, in, and so that their dialect had more um had more sort of precedence over the other dialects in the country. Yeah, and another thing with regards to, like, going back to the education system, because I feel like that's a whole conversation altogether I'm getting into. Um, going back into the education system, I was in class one in the early 90s. I went in, I went to Veuta Primary School, and comparing it to my dad and them and how they sort of felt the need to retain the ability to speak the language. Uh, for me, my experience was not the same. My, my experience, my first day of school, sat in the classroom, in the classroom and uh, wanting to use the toilet. I look up and my teacher is an Itauke woman, an indigenous Fijian woman. And so I put my hand up and I didn't have a very... Um, firm grasp of the English language. Therefore, I saw her as an ally and I thought, okay, I'm just going to ask her in Fiji. And so I asked in Fiji to use the toilet. She calls, she, she proceeds to call me to the front of the class, calls me, makes me stand there, 
And then she punishes me. She smacks me and she says, uh, she turns me to the class and she tells them, like, this is an example of a stupid Fijian, you know. I So I'm standing there embarrassed, completely embarrassed. Um, I consequently, you know, end up wetting myself. And, um, yeah, so I was confused by that because I thought, why, why am I being called a stupid Fijian? And then it sort of, like, dawned on me, oh, it's because I asked her in Fijian. I should have asked her in English, even though I don't speak English well. So that that sort of mindset started from that very young age. I was made to feel that speaking Fijian was associated with being a stupid Fijian. And I didn't want to be considered a stupid Fijian. And so that made me want to learn the language even more and master the skill of um, reading and writing in and speaking in English. And it's sad because... A lot of us were made to feel that way. And you can see it in the way that our education system, uh, I don't know if it's still the same, but when I was in high school, you certainly couldn't pro progress an um, upper level if you had failed English. English was like a compulsory subject that you had to pass. You know, It was one of the, the core subjects that you had to pass in order to progress to the next level. And you know, we didn't have any, um, any sort of robust Fijian language uh, lessons. Most of it was just very basic uh, Fijian language lessons that were, I think that they were directed for beginners. And so for those of us who wanted to learn the language, um, there was never an opportunity to be able to hone that skill, you could get, I, I guess you could say. And um, yeah, and, and I was fortunate, though I was fortunate that my dad still spoke to us in Fijian at home. I must admit, I used to get embarrassed when uh, my my mom or my dad would speak to us in Fijian, my, my parents are very, um, you could say, patriotic. <laughs> and so they, they it wouldn't stop them from speaking to me in Fijian. They'd, they'd speak to me in Fijian all the time. When they'd come to school, they'd speak to me in Fijian. You know, it wouldn't stop them. And I understand now why they did that. It was to to sort of highlight the importance to be proud of your your heritage and and like when with the conversations I've been having with my dad it's um, sort of made me sad as well that that it's taken me that long this long to understand why there is a need to highlight including the uh, including um, lessons and materials and building up on resources for our younger Fijian uh, generation back home, and so I'm I'm really glad that he's um, starting these converse, uh, conversations with retired teachers um, through the Fijian Teachers Association to build up um, a library of resources that they can write from their own sort of experience and, and background as educators. And if for those of you who are listening and who also have a background in um, being able to, or even just have the experience or the qualifications to, to land a hand or land your knowledge towards this project that they're doing with the Fijian Teachers Association, please get in touch with them and um, help us like build up a resource bank, you could say, for our younger Fijian uh, generation. And also those who just want to learn the language so that we can, we know that our language will be um, continued to to be celebrated and to retain the skill. Eh? I have my teenager, Vasemava, who will be joining us after this. And she's going to speak about her experience as a young Indigenous Fijian woman being brought up outside of Fiji and her experience with learning the language and speaking the language. Hi, 
Hi everybody, my name is Vasamada and it's great to join you all on this podcast. Hi Vasamada, thanks for joining us. Um, do you want to tell our listeners a bit about yourself? Like how old are you? Are you in high school? Um, I'm 15 years old. I've just recently finished year 10 in high school. I've been living in the UK since I was six years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just a bit of a backstory with, uh, with Va. Um, she moved over when she was six years old, as she mentioned. And when she moved over, she had just started primary school in Fiji. You, what primary school did you go to? Uh, gospel. Gospel primary school. And um, yeah, so, you know, primary school back home in Fiji, you start with the basics at the age of six. That's class one. Whereas here in the UK, you start at the age of four. So at the age of four, you do reception. And that's when you more or less start learning the basics of your alphabet, numbers, and just uh, basic reading skills. So when uh, Vasimada came over, she was put straight into year two. Yeah, year two. Year two. And so did you, were you able to tell them about like your experience? Like what was your grasp of English and reading? Well, I had a, I couldn't read because when I started Obviously, when I was in Fiji, I was in kindergarten. So I was just learning my alphabet, numbers, animals. So when I moved into England, the kids in year two, in my class, they already knew how to read, write. It was, yeah. So I was way, way behind from everyone else. It was overwhelming, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, it's a new country uh, for us as well. You know, Nev and I were very new parents in terms of like, we didn't have the support network of having our extended family to help us through it. So it was just me and Nev and um, a whole new education system. With regards to, I'll tell him about your name. Well, well, Vasamath is my middle name, but I go by Val, which is a shortened version of my full name, Valalau. Your first name. Yes, my first name. And, well, people over here in England, they find it, for any foreign name is difficult for them to say. Yeah, Valalau is very hard for them to say, like, especially at school as well. So didn't the, t- the teachers had to f- kind of tell you to shorten my name? Yeah. So I was... Obviously, you know, as a, as a different person, then I didn't really have the confidence to question it or challenge it, I guess. Um, her year two teacher said that in order for her to fit in, they would need to shorten her name to make it easier for her other, the other students to pronounce it and also for her as a teacher to pronounce it as well. So we had to compromise and say, you know, I just, I agreed with it because my main priority was trying to get her up to par with the the level of reading and writing skills that her other peers in year two were at. So shortening the name and being told that it would make things easier for her to fit in, that just seemed like, oh, okay, right, well, we'll get on with it. Now she's 15 and it's, um, you know, I regret it. If I could go back, I would have said no. Because there's other harder names that they've learned to pronounce of, like sporting personalities from um, European countries. So Valala, which is like three syllables, it's easy, um, you know, to pronounce phonetically. Even um, was kind of unfair of them, you know. Rather than trying to make her feel welcome, they made her feel like the name that she was had been given was not something that could be accepted. So we had to shorten her name for that. And um, yeah, so the other compromise that 
uh, Nev and I had to make in order to get her to you know be at the same level as her as the other students in her class was we had to stop speaking to her in Fijian. Now imagine moving to a new country. Um, the only other language that you can confidently speak is your indigenous language, and then having to stop speaking it because the um, the language of the country that you were moving to was not um, could not accommodate for the language your indigenous language. So for the first three months that she was here, we stopped speaking to her in Fijian altogether, didn't we? Yeah, we, it was just English. Yeah, so everything. We, yeah, but that you know credit to her. She managed to catch up in the three months. But how did they help you in school? Uh, they would take me out to do some extra reading. Like I would have like the teacher assistant assistant with me all the time when we we're doing like topic work for like if we we're writing a story or essays and stuff like that. Mostly for English and also maths as well. I just always had like a teacher with me helping me with everything, going yeah. through school work as well. How do you think that's affected um, in terms of like your ability in your first year that you were here uh, to speak, continue with speaking Fijian? How did it make you feel uh, being told that you had to first change your name and then now you had to speak English only? Uh, well, it kind of taught me, to, forced me to like try and socialize with, with other kids. And that was, uh, I was like, I was very shy when I was younger. I didn't really like talking to anyone. <laughs> And was it because of the language barrier? Yeah, yeah, mostly. And did it sort of um, stop you or make you feel bad about speaking Fijian? I think it kind of made me feel bad about speaking Fijian because obviously dad or you, you wouldn't speak to me in Fijian because I had to learn English as quickly as possible so that I can catch up with everyone, get on with like my schoolwork and everything like that. Yeah, it's been a struggle for us uh, trying to get her to speak Fijian again. So what happened was because we were made to feel that she had to, you know, because every parent and teacher meeting, they would like sort of hammer the point home <laughs> almost about like it was really important that she learned the language and um, the way that bilingual children, um, their brain works is that whatever language, um, whatever language is dominant. So for her, it's indigenous Fijian, right? So it's Fijian, the Itoke language. Whatever she was taking in, her brain was um, translating in from from English to her indigenous language, and then she would then relate um, the answers to the questions she's being asked back in English. And so they always said, oh, we, because that um, that hinders the progress that she already has, we were told that uh, we needed to continue with pushing for English as the main language to speak at home. Huh? It's sad because now she... she get, I know she can speak Fijian, but I think she gets embarrassed because she hasn't spoken it for, for some time now. She understands it. Do you understand? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know. I just can't, probably can't articulate my words with like all Fijian stuff like that. And probably, that's probably going to make fun of me even if I try anyway. Yeah, I mean, we don't help to her. The way that uh, the Fijian sense of humor, we should really be encouraging her. One way that we have tried to help her with it is um, we have a Fijian Bible. It's actually my grandfather's Bible that my dad um, brought with him on his last visit. And so I get the kids to read through that because I think that's the easiest way that you can learn. How do you find um, reading through the Fijian Bible? Does that help you at all? It helps me remember like some of the words 
and just like understanding Fijian more and so that I wouldn't forget forget it and if like someone's talking to me in Fijian I would understand them fully and not like and not have and yeah just understand them fully it's, now it does speak to me in Fijian when I'm usually in trouble or like <laughs> <laughs> or now and again she would just like tell me to do something in Fijian and I would understand it and I guess reading in Fijian is important as well well mostly so that I wouldn't forget it do you um, understand it when Ta talks to you? Ta is my dad. All his grandchildren call him Ta as well. I think it's because they're closer in age to me, my my nephews and my nieces. So they grew up with me. So everyone followed what I said. Yeah. Call him. Yeah. <laughs> so do you do you understand him when Ta speaks to you in Fijian? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, d- I do understand him when he's talking to me in Fijian. How do you feel about like when we have Fijian friends over and we're all speaking in Fijian? Like, how do you feel about engaging in conversation? It kind of feels odd that they're talking to me in Fijian and then I'm answering back in English. Yeah, I wish that I did like retain my um, ability ability to speak in Fijian because it'll be like it makes it so much easier. So then I'll be able to like talk to them in Fijian, and then they can talk back to me in Fijian. So it wouldn't seem a bit odd for me. Yeah, I guess that's something that we both need to work on. Well, thanks, Fly. It's been great um, hearing your take on how your experience has been. It's a little hard for us as well um, in terms of like the postings that we've had. Most of the times, the camps we get posted to, it's just us who are the Fijian family on site, uh, on camp. And so there's um, minimal interaction with other Fijian families for my children to be able to interact with um, you know other Fijians and hear the language being spoken a bit more right now all they hear it is like me when I'm speaking to my family back home or my sister um, in Dubai and we're we're talking in Fijian obviously we're talking about them yeah I can see that at times like she really wants to join in with the conversation or when Nev and I are talking and um, we are talking about something that relates to our family that we don't necessarily want the children to know about as I said earlier in the podcast like the conversations that I've had with my dad with regards to the indigenous language uh, the year of indigenous language language has made me realize as well I'm you know as much as I advocate uh, for speaking reading and writing the Fijian language I'm as much of a, a hypocrite as well because I don't sort of have that same passion to teach my children um, to speak the language I think or you know I take it for granted because I speak it fluently Nev's you know Nev he speaks it fluent as well that my children will automatically know how to speak it as well and it's harder um, I'm hoping that in time just trying to get them to read through the bible or having daily conversations with them that they'll pick up the language as well so just to round up with this podcast and uh, our topic for today for today uh, with regards to the language you know one thing that it's made me realize is like how much work that Nev and I have to put in as parents like we need to do better and we need to not just take it for granted that our children will somehow learn you know that kind of attitude like oh they'll learn through osmosis just sit there children and take it all in I think you know the other thing to consider is like the hang-ups um, that I have in terms of like from the, um, the schooling um, experience that I had back home in Fiji where I was made to feel that English was more important than Fijian and so I still feel that's something that I need to work on in terms of teaching the kids um, how to speak it fluently they understand it but don't feel as confident with 
their pronunciations of the words. I guess it's because they, you know, their their accent comes through, and so sometimes they mispronounce it, and it's that um, feeling of embarrassment. Right? But the only way they can get better is if they speak it more. So for those of you who might be interested in helping the retired teachers at the Fijian Teachers Association out with regards to providing resources or just helping them to do a bit of research as well, um, get in touch with them. You know, it's really important uh, work that they're doing, trying to create resources and materials that we can then use for our vernacular classes and also just like creating history books from an indigenous Fijian perspective. That's so important for us. You know, all our history books have been uh, that we used in school was written from perspectives of people who are non-Indigenous. And it's great that it's 2019 and we're trying to change that as well. And um, yeah, thank you again for joining us. Just a big uh, thank you as well to Dom for my podcast art cover. You're amazing for coming through and putting up with all my questions. <laughs> and also the music I've used today is from uh, Kevin McLeod called Modern Jazz Samba. And you can find it on filmmusic.io and the license is by Creative Commons. Thanks again, guys. And I hope to see you on our next um, podcast. Bye.